Y'all can be seated. Man, I tell you what, sin's still in the way. Even when you knock it down, right? Got to walk through it. Um, we're, we're in the middle of a, not in the middle, we're at the beginning of a sermon series um, about the Holy Land, about um, what we learned while we were there in Israel. We wanted to share it with you. Um, it's going to be a very special sermon series. Today we're talking about Jesus' baptism. And I just wanted to remind you we have a study guide I put together each week. It has a devotional for each day. Um, so please use this as part of your own personal study if that would be of help to you. So we talk about baptism. I did a lot of thinking and praying about this. And um, I wanted to begin with the Berlin Wall. Do you all remember when the Berlin Wall was breached? Do you remember that? I remember that. I was a kid and I remember watching in wonder the television. I bet y'all remember just looking at that and thinking, wow, if that wall can come down, maybe the Soviet Union isn't as strong as we thought, right? If the Iron Curtain can be torn, uh, maybe this battle isn't unwinnable. Maybe the end of the world is not going to happen, right? If this cruel, unpredictable regime can have these people go over that wall and say, we're not going to be slaves anymore, who knows, the world might change. And the world did. That was really the beginning of when the world changed. Now, I wanted you, because a lot of us, that was a long time ago, I wanted you to remember how big and terrifying that wall was. So let's look at this. Tear down this wall. Interesting. 
something that was so destructive, so powerful, so evil, is now being used to rebuild Germany. Interesting. I remember how that felt. I remember when a piece of it came to San Antonio, and everybody went out. They had to see it. Because that was something that had people imprisoned for years and years and years that didn't win. And I told you that story because that's probably the most terrifying wall I know of until we get to the scripture that I want to read today. And this is from Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. If you have your Bibles, get them out because we're going to be looking at all of Luke chapter 3 um, during this sermon today. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Now, if you go back in the scripture, back in, in Luke chapter 3, what was the river that they were standing by when Jesus was baptized? Where was he baptized? The Jordan. The Jordan is no ordinary river. The Jordan has a history that when you said to a Jewish person the Jordan, they would remember the Berlin Wall. Like us, right? We remember that. They would have remembered the Jordan and what happened there and how it shaped them. Because that was the place way before John got there, thousands of years before that, that the people of God, they had left slavery in Egypt. They had been wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness, trying to get to the place where they were strong enough, faithful enough, trusted God enough to cross over. And finally, God brings them to that very spot that John goes back to. He chose the spot well. And it was somewhere there along the Jordan River, right across from Jericho, which is where John is, that the people of God, God tore open that river and they got to walk into the promised land. They called it the promised land because God had promised it to them. And they had been waiting and waiting and waiting and still trying to leave that slavery. And finally, as they put their kids on their shoulders and they took the hands of their elderly parents as they walked across that river and the feet were in the mud and they looked at the other side, they thought, God has done it. Right? God promised us this decades ago. And here we are now walking to freedom, right? And it wasn't long after this that they faced the next wall. It wasn't a river. It was a city with these walls. And they stood on top of the walls laughing at them. And God said, just walk around the city. Just keep walking around and blow the trumpets and everybody give a shout. And, you know, the people in Jericho are like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. And they do that and the walls fall, right? And so the people of God at that time were like, this is it. You know, very soon, with God on our side, we're going to take back our la this land, right? This land that God promises, we're going to take it. And we will be this city on a hill. We will be a light to the world. And what they were forgetting was that there was another wall. And it was an interior wall in their hearts that they built up. And so they turned away from God. And over the next hundreds of years, it goes further and further until they're conquered. They conquered the northern kingdom by Assyria, the southern kingdom. They were wiped off the face of the earth, the northern kingdom. Assyria was bad. Um, Babylon, also bad, um, conquers the southern kingdom, takes them into captivity. Slavery, a second slavery. They're exiled. So they have to leave their land. They struggle. They fight to get back. They reclaim it, but it's not the glory that it once was. Right? And then other, they were at the crossroads of civilization. People were always marching through Israel. It was just in between everybody powerful. So everybody was taking them over. And it, by the time we get to John the Baptist, it's Rome. Rome was bad. They were bad dudes. I mean, they gave us a lot of good stuff, but if you were the one being conquered, it was not fun. 
I mean, the thing about the Soviet Union is they stayed where they were and we stayed where we were. And it was still terrifying. I remember my parents telling me about hiding under their desk to do a nuclear, like, I don't know, drill. Like, so go hide under your desk if a nuclear bomb goes off, right? Like, all right, that'll help. False sense of security there. Good way to go. Um, so that's kind of what they're up against with Rome. Here are these people. Think about the people in East Berlin. Somebody's conquered the people of God. And so they're going to resist in a lot of different ways. They choose a lot of different tactics. Some of them just sit still and just try to wait it out, right? Others are fighting back. They're driving trucks into the wall of Rome, right? They're refusing to pay their taxes. We saw this place in Israel where um, the, some rebels went up into these cliffs and had their families live in cliffs just so, and caves so that they wouldn't have to pay Roman taxes because that, that was their rebellion. They were not going to pay those unfair and unjust taxes. And anytime a tax collector came to like crawl up the rocks and try to get the taxes, they would throw rocks down on them. So that kind of discouraged the tax collectors. So they would do that. Others were called the Sicarii. Um, the Sicarii were um, terrorists, basically. Um, and they would go into crowds with knives hidden. And they would find a Roman official in a crowd and knife them, kill them, and then slink away into the crowd. And that person would be dead and the knife would be like Sicarii. So it was kind of a terror campaign to be like, get out of our country, right? You don't belong here. We're fighting back. And I mean, there were all these kinds of things that people were doing. Like, if we can just get rid of this, this empire, then we will be the people God always wanted us to be. If we can just get rid of this evil empire. And the thing that I love about this scripture is there's this guy who, instead of attacking people in the marketplace or throwing rocks on tax collectors or leading a rebellion in Jerusalem, goes back to the Jordan River into the wilderness, to a place of want, to a place where there's not abundance and riches. Um, you, you can kind of have that, you know. He's eating locust, yum, with honey, right? And it, some people say that was a tree, a locust kind of a tree. It might have just been a bug, okay? And he was wearing camel hair. He was not powerful the way the wor world thinks of power. It wasn't that way. And yet, these other, these other people, they're not just waiting it out. They're not um, trying to grab a knife or a rock or something like that and topple Rome. They follow him out there. And they come, instead of with answers, with questions. If you look at the scripture, if you look at verse 10, the crowds ask, what should we do? Because they realize something is going on. They realize that there's this wall, and it's not the Roman Empire. And it's not any other physical barrier. It's not the statues that are getting erected in the middle of holy places. It's not any of that. I mean, that's a problem. But they realize that the problem is deeper. And if you look at their question, you realize that they understood that the problem is them. That they are not ready. That their hearts are not right. That there's this giant wall that they've put up inside of themselves. And if ever God will come, he will not find them ready if this fades. And so they come with questions. They come with longing. They're asking this guy, last of the Old Testament prophets, standing at the place of salvation, very important spot, help us. Now look at John, what John's mission was. I'm going to read that to you. This is a prophecy. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him, 
The valleys will be filled, the mountains and hills made level, the curves will be straightened, and the rough places made smooth, and then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. When the way is prepared, and these people are saying, we want to prepare the way by getting our hearts right. We need to be cleaned. The way that salvation will come is if we get rid of this sin, is if we're ready for something new, not if Rome falls, if this wall falls. Now, I want you to pull in your toes for a minute because I'm about to step on them, and so fair warning. Um, what I admire about these folks by the river is that they were done pointing their fingers and they were ready to accept responsibility. And we still to this day have a hard time with that. I mean, I would rather point my fingers, you would rather point your fingers at anybody else than accept responsibility. It's just the way it is. I mean, that's why we have all those ridiculous warning labels on things like, right? Do not put bag overhead, plastic bag overhead, right? Suffocation risk. Oh, thanks, right? Like, wouldn't have figured that one out on my own. Um, I saw a warning label on a knife, like, knives are sharp, you can get cut. Like, right? Knives can cut your skin. Okay, that warning label is there on the knife and the plastic bag and every other thing you've ever seen because someone gave that plastic bag to their baby as a toy. Someone got a knife and, like, cut themselves and thought, not, man, I'm so dumb for cutting myself, but no one told me this knife was sharp that it could cut my skin. No one told me this coffee was hot. I can't believe it. I've been burned by this coffee, right? And so we sue someone to say, you should have told me this knife was sharp. You should have told me this bag could kill. You should have told me this. It's your fault that this bad thing has happened to me on a larger level. We are not being um, oppressively taxed by an evil empire. Okay, well, we're not being put... <laughs> We're not being crucified on crosses, right, and made examples of. We can kind of feel them on the taxes, right? But we actually have a vote, right? And yet, they didn't. How often are we like, I guarantee, I've said it this week, I bet you have. Man, our elected officials are junk, right? They are not doing their job. Because if they were doing their job, this housing crisis wouldn't have happened. The economy would be turning around. They're doing a terrible job. We look at these taxes, how our taxes might go up. They need to do better. I'm not saying that there isn't room for improvement. I'm saying we're good at this. What about the LCRA? Hmm? Like to throw stones at them? Okay, hmm? I've heard a little bit of that, more than a little bit of that. Um, yeah, more than a little bit of that. What about rice farmers? We hate them, <laughs> right? We have some people who go to our church who work for the LCRA, so we're like, yeah, it's not all bad, right? Right? We like those people, so it's probably it's not all bad. But the rice farmers, none of us here are a rice farmer, and they're taking our water out of our lake to make rice in Texas, and that is stupid. Let's just admit it, okay? That's a wetland thing, and we're, yeah, we're the hill country, and that's dumb, and so we point our finger and say, those rice farmers, or we look around at our work, and we're like, our boss, man, my boss doesn't know a thing about what they are doing, right? 
man, if only I had a more competent boss, things would be better. Or if only my employees knew how to do a day's work in their lives, right? Things would be better. If only I had better coworkers. If only my kids could just take some responsibility. If only my spouse could get her act together. Misery, misery, misery. Life would be so much better if that person or that person or that organization or that system or them could be better. And so what I admire about these people at the river is they are done pointing fingers. The world still has its problems, but they're going to control the one person that they can control. You can control one person. You can control you. I can control me. And actually, a revolution could begin, can begin, did begin, because these people said, it begins here. It begins with us getting rid of this wall that's separating me from God, because if I'm not separated from God anymore and God can work in my life, then God can change the world through me, beginning with me, beginning with me acting more fairly and me making good decisions. And so that's what these people are saying. Tell us how to do that. And John says, repent of your sins and be baptized. Repent. Well, sin, right? Sin means to stray from God's path, to miss the mark. It's actually sometimes used of an arrow flying, right, and it goes wide. It's like, what is that? You know, miss the mark, stray from the path. So this is God's path. I know I'm supposed to be going that way. I'm off over that way. What does repent mean? It just means turn around. Just turn around. Just realize, I've been wrong. I'm going the wrong way. I'm missing the mark. I want to be different. And so all these people, John says, first of all, repent. Second, be baptized. One-time thing. It says, step into the Jordan River and let the water wash away your sin. You step into the place where God worked that mighty act of deliverance for a nation and say, I need that individually. I need that not just my nation. I need to be washed clean. And then he says, and then wait, because there is one coming who will baptize you, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. The way will soon be open. The way will soon be open. And where does Jesus appear to begin his ministry? In the midst of these people who know they need him. These people who realize that they are the problem. These people who are longing for purification. Where does Jesus appear to begin? With them. And in that scripture I read you, Jesus is baptized. He's a model for us. He, he didn't have any sin to wash away, but he's going to show. And John even's like, why are you doing this? He said, to show you. To show you what's needed. And so he is baptized. He comes up out of the water among all those people, and heaven is torn open. You see what they've been longing for, that the kingdom of God comes on earth, that God isn't up there and I'm down here and we're separated. Suddenly, through Jesus, heaven and earth are together. And God says, you've been looking for the way? Here he is. And so now suddenly, if I'm that person on the riverbank and I want to be purified and I want to know the way and I want the kingdom of God to come, my heart is ready, right? That's what the scripture said. Get the path ready, and then all the people will see the salvation sent for God, from God. Now I know who to follow. Now, y'all, um, 
one of the things that the people did after they came out of the water and before Jesus came is they asked John, what should we do, right? And it was, once you repent, once the wall is gone, you live differently. And so he said to them, if you have two shirts and all they really needed was one, share. And if you're a soldier, there were soldiers here getting baptized. Soldiers. He didn't say quit being a soldier. He said, don't abuse your power as a soldier. Don't abuse it. And then to the tax collectors, yuck, he said, he didn't say quit being a tax collector. He said, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Whatever it is that you are called to be, whoever it is you are, do it with integrity. Live as an example for others. Use the power that God puts into your hands well. Right? Once that wall is knocked down in our hearts, then we might have power that God has given us to change this world. Now, one of the most meaningful things, oh, I just realized I missed a video. I'll put it up online for y'all. There's a video of what the Jordan River um, baptism site looks like at that um, crossing. I'll put that up online for y'all. Um, but I want you to see what it looks like. Um, there's two spots, one in the south, one in the north. I want you to see what it looks like in the northern part. Because that was one of the most meaningful um, parts of the trip for me. Because you get to get into the water there. It was freezing. <laughs> it may not look like it, but it was freezing cold. And we had a baptism remembrance service there. And the amazing thing to me was I've always longed to see the Jordan River as a pastor. Because I know that's the place of salvation, right, for God's people. And what made it so meaningful is um, Debbie Jensen was baptized there in the Jordan River. And so um, she's going to share what that felt like for her. And then um, I want you to see what it looked like. So you're going to get to see what it looked like, and then she's going to tell you what that was like. simply my baptism just got overlooked and um, I've been worrying about it for years and and hoping to find the right time and the right place it never did present itself and 
Richard and I decided to go on our pilgrimage to Israel, and when we decided that, I knew I was going to be baptized in the Holy Land. I will never forget walking into that viewing area with Laura and Susan and Leah and hearing Greg and our group sing Amazing Grace. I will never forget walking into that water with the three of them and watching Susan and Leah have their remembrance of their baptism. And I'll never forget coming out of that water after my baptism, feeling a calmness I never felt before, closer to God than I ever felt before. And I think it just made me feel complete. And I'm going to remember my baptism every day for the rest of my life. Thank you, Amen. Um, that was a privilege for me. And I wish y'all could have been there because there were um, pilgrims from, uh, they were singing in Portuguese next to us. So they're singing in Portuguese. We're singing in English. Um, their pastor's baptizing. We're baptizing. And we kind of look at each other every now and then, and we're like, we can't talk to each other, but we know it's the same Lord who washes away our sins, right? This is the same special place for us to remember who we are, to remember whose we are, to remember that the wall that separates us from God, Jesus can knock down. We can be reborn. And y'all, I was baptized when I was a child. I was an infant. And it was something that my parents um, gave to me as a gift. They said, that we know that we're going to raise her like this. And so for me, it was a very moving thing to come back to that place as an adult or to come to that place as an adult and say, I remember that I have chosen this many times in my life, right? And that God has been with me ever since that day I was baptized, working in my life, even from the time I was a baby. Others of y'all, like Debbie, you remember that moment, right? You're, you remember it. Maybe you were baptized as an adult. And you remember that choice of like, I, there was this and then there was this, and I'm choosing God. I'm choosing to realize I can't do it all myself. I need him. And so I wanted to share this with y'all so badly. I wanted the people at the Jordan River to not just be the 31 people we had, but to be all of us. And so what we did is everyone who was there had a little empty bottle of, an empty bottle, and we put it into the Jordan River, and we um, put the lid on and put X's, like crosses on it, like this is cross, well, don't drink, right? Don't drink this if you're thirsty. And we put it back in our suitcases, and we brought it back here so that today we could all remember our baptisms, all of us. You see, Debbie was baptized, the rest of us remembered. We remembered that choice. And I tell you one more thing about the Jordan. An interesting thing about the Jordan is um, the place where John was, um, that is just right above the Dead Sea. And so when those people went under those waters and came back up and the river flowed past them, it was like it was carrying their sin away to a place where nothing on earth can live, nothing on earth can survive. And that's what baptism does, is that once and forever, um, God says, that wall is gone. You are mine. And yes, do we have to throughout our lives say, man, some bricks have grown up. Yes, we do. But it's gone when Jesus works in our lives. And he can keep on knocking it down for us whenever it comes up. So today, um, Jeannie and I are going to be up here. And we're going to offer a service of remembrance of your baptism. So um, if you would like to come up, remember your baptism, we'd like to invite you to come.
And to echo that humility, humi they were, the people who came were very humble, right? They weren't pointing fingers. If you're comfortable, I'd invite you to take off your shoes, if you're comfortable with that. Because that's a very, that reminds me to be humble, to take off my shoes. Feet are not pretty things. And so it reminds me that we come before God and we're just asking for help. We're just saying, I need you. I can't do it on my own. So once I pour the water, we say the prayer, I'd like to invite you. If you'd like to come and remember your baptism, please come. Um, maybe you're like Debbie, and you've never been baptized, and you're longing for it. And if that's you, then come find me in my line and tell me I've never been baptized, and I'd like to be baptized today. I baptized three people at the first service who had never been baptized. So if that's you, come up and find me. Um, Jeannie, come on up, and we'll, we'll pray. God, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit over this gift of water that came all the way from the Holy Land um, that reminds us of your works of salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would help us remember as it touches our heads that we are part of your salvation works, that we are part of that history of a people who crossed over from slavery to freedom, of a people who came to the desert realizing that there was something broken inside of them and longing for you to fix it. And here we are today. Um, and here we, we have people who sang with believers from all around the world at the Jordan River and brought this back so that we here in Spicewood today could remember how powerfully you work in our lives. And so, Lord, knock down the wall that separates us from you. Bring us close to you. Help our hearts to be ready so that the kingdom of God can come not just in our hearts, but in this world. Amen.